guys. Welcome to episode two of the Lions Made podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me, um, Erica Suter. I am going to let her introduce herself, but if you don't know who she is, she'll give you the short version, but if you don't know who she is, um, you're definitely going to be logging on the internet after this episode to figure out who she is because she's awesome and you should follow her stuff. She's also uh, one of my favorite colleagues, a great friend, um, somebody who runs in my in my sort of circle and keeps me grounded. So I'm really excited that she's featuring today on the show and is going to be our first guest in this round, in this season of uh, the podcast. So Erica, welcome. Super pumped that you're here. Hi, Julia. It's nice to be back with you. <laughs> How many episodes have we done together now? A thousand? Oh man, too many, but we need to just keep doing more because they're so fun and we, we definitely feed off of each other. So it's always enjoyable. I know we put out a lot of content together on the internet and for me, part of it feels like doing content, but most of it just feels like having a great time and laughing really hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's nice to get to that point when you create content, you just have fun with it. So it's it's been really good. And we have very, very similar uh, viewpoints on a lot of things, although we both have totally different backstories. Uh, we do have a lot of similarities and I really appreciate it. That. So today we're going to be talking about high potentials versus high performers. So how about you give us the intro? What's the context um, of your life, your story? What do you do? Give us your, give us your background. Sure. So I've, I've played soccer my whole life, played in, in college and abroad, and I've been a soccer performance coach in Baltimore, Maryland for about seven, seven and a half years and I work with mainly youth athletes from ages 7 to 2023 and I train these athletes year-round so doing in-season pre-season and off-season programming and I also do a lot of writing for youth strength and conditioning training for my own website and for other websites and publications so I, I like to say my, my job title is part performance coach, part tenacious writer. <laughs> I think I've uh, written over 800 articles between my own site and, and other sites. So it's been nice to be able to share what I do with my athletes through my writing. And it's been nice to really create some impact for other youth coaches, other performance coaches, and other people just in the, the youth fitness community. So that's, that's been really awesome, and I'm, I'm grateful I can do that. Which, if anybody's ever put out content, um, just to know how absolutely ridiculously hard it is to be consistent, um, to constantly have ideas, and to constantly at the quality and the rate that you put them out, um, you got to know that it's really, really hard, and you make it look so easy, and your content is excellent. So, um, yeah, major respect and major props to you there. Thank you. And, and I think it definitely will tie into what we talk about in this episode, Julia, is what, what it takes or what it means to be a high performer. And I, I definitely can say I am more of a high performer in the content and writing sense and everything I do with my job. So I'd be happy to dive into some of the characteristics and, and how it's possible. Absolutely. Let's do it. So high performer versus high potential. Can you give us a couple, like, how do we, how do we measure potential versus performance? How do we define somebody as a performer versus a potential? What are your thoughts there? Um, I can 
can speak to high performers more than high potentials. I, I'm not a sports scientist, so I like suck at like quantifying things and measuring things. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Uh, but high performers are, they not only have that passion in them to master their crafts, but they have the intrinsic motivation to do more than what's expected. So if we take an athlete, for example, what's expected of them is to go to their team practices, to show up to games, to maybe see their strength coach, but going beyond that and doing more than what's expected and dialing in on the details like extra skills training or working on your first touch, dialing in your sleep and your nutrition, making sure you take time for yourself so that your mental health is good. I think those are the things that high performers do so that they can perform at the best. Like they're thinking about all these factors at play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, basically stacking good qualities and experience and skill on top of each other until you get results, right? Is that, that's what I got from what you just said. Yes, yes, and consistent results. So they, they realize that high performance is a process. So they, they might not be as goal-oriented. They, they wake up every day and they're like, I just like doing this because I enjoy it and I know there's going to be tough days. I know there's going to be obstacles, but I still get enjoyment from all of the things, whether good or bad, negative or positive. They really lean into that process. Yeah. Nice. So what do you think about high potentials? I know you work mostly with high performers, but, um, and we can, we can break down the context here because there's definitely, um, you know, whether you're a high performer and a high potential that changes based on your context. For example, if you're, um, in high school, you might be a high performer in high school, but considered a high potential for college when you're being recruited. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and if you're playing, if you're a high performer in college, you're going to be a high potential for a national team, for example, because you're not, highly consistently performing on the international stage, et cetera, et cetera. So how can we kind of break down the difference, do you think, between that high potential and the performer? Mm -hmm. I think that, I, so I actually work with a lot of high potentials, so many like middle school and like early high school athletes. And mm -hmm. with them, they just need to be guided. Okay. So sometimes high potentials don't have the intrinsic motivation to do the extra work, to do more than what's expected. And they definitely need some role models or some good leaders in their lives to guide them along that journey and show them what it takes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, that has to be through not telling them the right things, but instead asking them the right questions. Mm -hmm. So as an example, I have some kids who, I'll, I used to say, you guys need to practice your skills more at home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of high potentials don't respond to that. So what they do respond to is when I ask them a, a question like, okay, how do you think you're going to improve your first touch? How, are you, how do you think you're going to blow by defenders with your, your 1v1 moves? And then I kind of put the ball in their court and then they answer and they're like, well, I need a practice this I need to work on this more in practice I need to get more reps here and then I'm like okay now we're on to something so I think they just need to be guided from 
their, their coaches, whether it's their strength coach, their trainer, their team coach. That's so interesting because um, obviously I come at everything from, yeah, the, the view of a, an ex-player and a strength coach, but also as, from the view of a psychologist. And we always say you can't obviously make somebody decide to change, but our job yeah. is essentially, even though, even if people are open and willing to change, we can't just provide them the answers. I come from the cognitive behavioral therapy background and we never like give an answer or give an idea. We basically just like ask questions in the right direction until they come to the conclusion themselves because you can never, part of buy-in is yes, you want people to trust you, but they also have to come up with the idea themselves <laughs> partially to really buy into it. Um, and at least in my experience in, in working in the sports psychology side, um, so that's really interesting how you said um, in order to help them take accountability for it, they need to be able to answer the questions and it's just our job to ask them. I like that. Yes. Yes. And, and they definitely have to be open-ended questions and questions where they can really go into detail and do some self-reflection. I think self-reflection and self-awareness is really important. And like you said, you can't, you can't ever get someone to change. They're, they are going to have to want it to, to do it themselves and it you really just have to ask the right questions as a coach so where do you think the responsibility is exactly for the development of potential and or performance does that rest with mm -hmm. coaches parents the athletes themselves 100 percent um is it divided up um across across different people how how is the division of that would you say yeah, that's a really good question. There, there has to be a combination of both. I think coming back to the characteristics of high potentials, we initially might have to guide them as coaches, and they mm -hmm. might need that extra push. But then eventually, we can't be holding their hand to perform at a high level. They, they have to want to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And just that goes with with anything athletics career academics like like for me like I don't have anyone telling me to blog on Saturdays <laughs> or spit out 800 articles like sure like when I was in school my my English teachers and my writing teachers were like you need to like draft your stuff you need to do this and you do that and I don't have them holding my hand anymore like I am doing this because I, I wanted to do it and I have the passion so I think there initially there might have to be the guidance and then eventually the intrinsic motivation needs to come. It might not even come at all. They might not be meant to do whatever, you know, they're doing and that's fine too. Obviously there's different coaching styles and things of that nature. I just wanted to dive into what you were saying a bit more with different coaching styles and whatnot. Guidance versus authority. Yeah. When does the authority like basically gas pedal come off and it becomes more of a guidance role? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I can really answer this question that well because I am more of a coach who has a lead by example style mm -hmm. and just embodying my philosophy in terms of what it takes to be a beast athlete. Right. So, you know, it really depends on the leadership style, but I obviously practice what I preach. My athletes see that. And I think it just kind of permeates onto them. But I know your style might be a little different if you, you want to go into that. 
I don't. I always laugh at how uh, the different styles, there's such a very distinct set of American coaching approaches and a very distinct uh, amount of European coaching approaches. And I've seen both sides of them done really well and both sides of them done so terribly that like, (laughs) I'm mostly interested in asking other people because it's, it's hard to know exactly when to let up and not all coaches. I mean, it, perhaps it's a bit easier for us. We're not head sport coaches. Um, And so if you have a head coach, um, they're supposed to have some level of authority for a period of time. But when you're working with high performers versus high potentials, you know, there's, a lot of high performers can lead themselves, but at the same time, you have to put a team together. And mm-hmm. so there has to be some sort of, yeah, authority guidance mixture. It's just a fascinating concept. Um, yeah. Well, what do, what do you mean by authority? Like I mean, just being strict and being about business? Yeah, having it be more about business, having, it be, having there be yeah. more rules, having it be more structured. Of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to have the expectation of excellence um, when you get into performance sport, period, end of story, whether you're a high performer or a high potential. It's just more of where do we give up the structure around, um, you know, how do we give up the structure around you have to do this, that, and the other thing and allow people to do it for themselves or allow athletes to do it themselves because they want to, because they're driven to, because they're internally motivated to do it. Right. But it's yeah, individual for each think, athlete and every coach. So that's a thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's so funny because I see a lot of girls who love coaches who are like super strict and yell at them and, and curse at them. And then I know some girls who put their tail between their legs and are like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't handle this. So yeah, it, it's tough to like have a right or wrong answer to this. But I think it's possible to be in a position of authority and to be strict and to be organized and to be structured in your approach while still coming from a place of care Mm -hmm. and not having to yell or really get on your athletes. It's more coming from a place of, Hey, we're doing this and this is what's going to make you better. Mm -hmm. And it's just being confident in your delivery with what you're doing. You can absolutely be strict. High performance coaching is a thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so like, let's hit the lifestyle part of this. What does the lifestyle of a high performer look like um, versus a high potential? <laughs> 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 What's your experience with that? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I was having this conversation with Jay Dyer, my boss, last week, and he, he's grown something so massive. He's been doing strength and conditioning for lacrosse athletes for almost 18 years and has grown a very successful, yeah, he's like at the level of Mike Boyle, like has just grown a very successful facility uh, for us to work at. So grateful to work for him. But he was saying how when he was starting like in his 20s and 30s, he had no balance. Like he's, he's had maybe five total family dinners with his wife and kids which is crazy. And he just kind of laughed and was like, yeah, balance is a myth, Erica. And I just kind of nodded my head. I was like, no, you're right. Like, I feel that way now. Like I'm working 20 to 40 hours a week and that's just in-person coaching. And then beyond that, there's like the content creation and doing more than what's expected, doing more than the in-person coaching, Mm -hmm. coming up with programs, uh, teaching online athletes or 
consulting with coaches and I know you can say the same so yeah I mean there's no balance to it at all like I'm not hitting up yoga on a Saturday and getting you know facials and <laughs> every week <laughs> like there, there there's no balance and there, there's absolutely seasons when I'm grinding extra hard and there might be some seasons when I can take off a little bit but there's no in between really and I know I know you can say the same yeah absolutely um how were you in college how was your work-life balance in college as you were playing still <laughs> none at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just uh you know when you're a student athlete at um a pretty high level university or even just any university it's you can't really balance sports and academics like you're you're on the bus to an away game studying or you're writing a paper or you yeah. have an exam af after like a weekend game so yeah there's really no balance but I think if you're a high performer and you're living that life where there's no moderation or anything you love it mm -hmm. and you're you say to yourself well the the, the costs here uh, definitely are, are worth it and I love doing this and that's that's the difference with a high performer. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to college athletics and being a student athlete, I think you definitely know where you stand on the performance versus potential spectrum. If you can yeah. ask yourself, like, what is the most important to me? Do I want to have the experience of partying with anybody other than my team, like after a big win, after the championship <laughs> or after playoffs or whatever? Um, do I want to be up at five o'clock in the morning doing my distance runs, which we'll get into that on another podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it was like the, the early 2010s. Okay. We weren't there yet. <laughs> like, um, you know, if you're not willing to commit to all of those things and you're interested in dabbling and other things, that's okay. You just, the classification shifts because yeah, it, the amount of buy-in it takes to be a high-performing athlete, even a high, high-potential athlete, um, is extreme. It's <laughs> high-potential yeah. athletics is an extreme sport. Sorry to say it. Yeah, it is, and and we had this conversation earlier about like, do you think Messi or Ronaldo or Alex Morgan live balanced lives? No, Hello? absolutely no. not. <laughs> like, yes, they're given like all the resources to succeed, like strength coaches, sports psychologists you know, recovery tools, but it's still not a balanced life. But also like balance is a different definition for everyone, but that's the scope of like another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Germany, a lot of our, our female players up until, I mean, even some of them still, but basically all of them up until 2000, probably 10 were working. We had athletes who were working a job, going to school on the side, and playing professionally, like including traveling every weekend, playing international, um, like friendlies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how do you think you're gonna like balance your life with that? That basically means you probably have one like afternoon per month where you're like, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends. But that's the level of buy-in that it takes and people are willing to commit to that. But that's literally what it takes on the international stage to become a high performer in the context of the German women's Bundesliga at that time. So like mm -hmm. I said, the context matters, but <laughs> work-life balance, um, good luck. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> but when, it, when playing is your hobby, it's different because it's not so stressful. Just like for us working, like you said, working is the hobby. So it's easy yeah. to, to buy into it because it's not 
totally draining constantly. You don't dread doing it all the time. Yeah, there's stuff you don't like, like distance running. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I'm not a big fan of answering DMs, if I'm being entirely honest. It's a little bit stressful. Uh, but those are the things you got to do. You got to answer the emails. You got to do the sprints. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think it, it, about um, like process versus outcome? Do you think high performers have a love for like the process of it versus the outcome, or is it more like I just want to achieve goals? It's a little bit of both. Um, definitely, high performers. It, it's good for them to have a goal because then they have something to work towards. Mm-hmm. But I also think they're able to not get too attached to them, and if they don't reach their goals, they're like, okay, on to the next. Like, I got this. Like, I can pivot at any moment. I think that's definitely the difference. Okay. When would you, as a coach and somebody who works in recruiting as well, when would you bet on high potential versus only selecting high performers? Obviously, there's such a thing as, like, budget and amount of scholarships and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But when would you shift more towards high potential versus somebody who you know is consistently highly performing at this moment or in for example their high school context yeah i i really see i do see a lot in high potentials and i think my favorite thing about them is when i ask them a question and they can give me a detailed answer and then they take action based off the question i asked Mm -hmm. and then after they take action they ask me for feedback. Like, I love that. Like high potentials tend to ask for feedback or some of them, like, how can I improve my shot or how can I get stronger? How can I improve my agility? And I love that. And that's when I would bet on that high potential. That's when I see that they care and they really want to improve and they want to get to the next level. Ooh, that's process though. I wonder if high potentials just need to basically dive more into the process versus the goal because that's really yeah. interesting how you said that yeah what would your advice be for somebody who's a high potential but wants to become a high performer just off the top of your head just they need to become more self-aware like what do they what do they want do they want to get to the next level and if they if that answer is no that's fine too they just need to know that they just need to know if it's a hard yes or a hard no. Yeah. And do you love it? Is it a hobby still? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think like a lot of high potentials, if they ask themselves, is this worth it for me? And they can say yes. If they can say yes, then putting in the work shouldn't be hard, but they need to ask that question first. Where would be the first place that somebody should put in the work? Um, and like in terms of like training or just yeah, becoming a better athlete, achieving that goal of being more consistent and great. Just take inventory. Take inventory on where where you're you're weak. So it could be technical, physical, tactical, mental. So mm-hmm. just take inventory and see. Just pick one first. Obviously, all of them need to be even and the the buckets need to be filled the same but pick one first where they can improve and slowly add another and then another yeah that's really interesting i am 
I had a, a high potential athlete that I was speaking to yesterday where we were talking about the process and how, you know, he loves the sport. He's super passionate about it, et cetera, et cetera. But he feels like he's becoming overwhelmed with the concept of everything being a race. Like he feels like he's consistently running out of time, that he's always, everybody's trying to come for his spot, et cetera, et cetera. And I tried to um, just remind him, like he's an excellent athlete, total genetic freak, very talented, works very hard, but tried to remind him, like, you need to reframe this as if, like pressure is a privilege. Like if you have the privilege of having somebody come for you constantly Mm -hmm. um, and constantly being one step behind the highest performer on this team, you need to treat that as like a gift because you wouldn't want to be so far behind that you're not being pushed because you're the worst. (laughs) Like, but you also, you know, you're, you haven't made it yet. You're not at the top. You need to shift the perception. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. But it's really, really stressful. And I think it's very important again going back to the four columns and filling up all the buckets like on the mental side to treat that process and that push and that pressure as a privilege and use it to actually drive you like yeah performers are very very motivated exactly they're very motivated and they're motivated by being excellent at everything they do and executing um you know perfection is not always you know it's 100% of whatever you've got that day okay that's all that we can ask for that's all we can expect yeah um it's not absolutely picture perfect perfection all of the time. Um, But you need to accept in my personal opinion and my experience that, yeah, any pressure is a privilege to be in that spot and use it to drive you forward as opposed to letting it hold you back. And I think for me personally, that's one of the biggest things and differences that I see between the two. Um, Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Using pressure to drive you and yeah like what what type of athlete would you be if you didn't have a little bit of stress or a little bit of challenge what you you'd be getting complacent so that's a a really good perspective and definitely high performers possess that i i remember when i was playing at hopkins like each year i got older sophomore junior year i would get scared that the freshman class is coming in what if they're good what if a Mm -hmm. freshman's gonna take my position and that worrying actually drove me to train harder and hold my starting position. Yeah. And I, and I did, I kept working harder each year, even though I was getting older and I was getting seniority and and all that, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. I I needed these young ones to challenge me to stay on top of my game. Exactly. And, and, you know, we also see high potentials turn into high performers late as well. Look at somebody like the best example on the market right now is Megan Rapinoe. Did we know who she was at 20? Hell no, but how old is she now? And she's been the queen of US, the US WNT basically now for what, coming up on eight years? I mean, honestly. Yep. 100%. It's, it seems like a race and it feels like a race, but if, it, if you let it push you under instead of push you up, you're going to lose. Um, mm-hmm. Don't treat it like it's a race. It's a marathon. <laughs> like, don't burn yeah. out your legs. And, and don't linger too much on the, the outside stress and what others are doing too much. Like, acknowledge it but then go focus on you and go get your shit done yeah I love that you said self-awareness is really important I think a vast majority of athletes completely lack that because we don't focus on it at all like do you think people don't really know what it means or how to acquire it I just think it's not I don't want to say it's not relevant I just think it's not something that's really accessible naturally in this society like yeah. Instead of having to think about yourself and take inventory on yourself, you could just get on your phone. Like we're masters of distracting That's ourselves. So 
through. And that's, that's also a big difference between a high performer and high potential is high performers don't let the outside distractions get to them. Right. Or, or weigh them down. They're focused on their goal. They're focused on getting better. They're focused on the process. They don't let any of these distractions steer them off their path. Mm -hmm. That's a, a really interesting insight. I think you're totally right on that. One more thing I'd like to say about work-life balance, and then I'm going to shut up, is um, I also don't really think there's such a thing as work-life balance because my job and my passions and my sport have always been my hobby as well, so it wasn't really work for me, and when it does become work, I change it, and I think that's really important yes. as well. You know, everything is in flux, but the big thing that we know about stress, which of course work and training and, and all the things that come with high-performance sport are stressful at times, and the body doesn't differentiate between stress, the big thing you need is recovery afterwards, and the recovery needs to be appropriate. Um, you know, if you feel like it's a hobby, it's great. You love what you're doing, but your body's still taking on stress or you're losing sleep or you're mentally stressed, et cetera, et cetera. There has to be some point where you do recover. And that might not necessarily mean you go on holidays for three weeks with your family or you go partying, et cetera, et cetera. It yeah. might mean there's just, you've got time cut out in your day to meditate or to be around people or to call your mom or to not think about soccer or to train by yourself or whatever that may be. Um, you have to yeah. define your own balance and it's really yeah. important just like self-awareness to do that early on and make sure that you have your recovery on point um, and know how your body responds to it early on and that's going to give you a big push over the hump because most people don't know how to do that but high performers do absolutely and i, I definitely think high performers are able to listen to their bodies mm -hmm. and they they know when they are pushing too hard like they, they already push hard. That's why they're successful, but they know when, like you said, they're, they're not getting sleep or maybe they're getting overuse injury or their relationships are waning, whatever it is, they will be able to recognize that and be like, okay, I need to tweak something here. This is not working. This right. is actually being counterproductive. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Well, guys, should you have more questions about how to become a high performer or what it takes to reach the next level or your thoughts, your input, your feedback. We want to hear about it. So Erica, please tell the people where they can find you online and guys, I'll have all of this in the show notes. Um, but I'm, I'm serious. Get online right now and go follow Erica. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You can find me on my website at www.ericasuter.com and then Twitter and Instagram at fit soccer queen. Super easy to remember fit soccer queen remember when you were a fit soccer chick gosh that's a throwback <laughs> that was like years ago girl that was like <laughs> I years upgraded. ago upgraded. yeah straight up like forever ago upgrade you and i'm i'm still a little bit irritated that you and i have both spent so much time between baltimore and dc and we never managed to bet meet we will it's so funny because we'll probably meet this year in person for the first time in like germany or something like which is <laughs> Or the Netherlands. Yeah, the Netherlands works too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, please contact Erica with any questions you might have. Um, me as well. And she'll be back. She's always back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>